Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week with Dr. Benjamin Smith. And today we're going to talk about our feelings, sort of. What we want to do is, today what we want to do is talk about uh, passions and feelings, Uh, not necessarily our own, but uh, specifically how St. Thomas treats them in in the Summa. We want to talk about passions because not just the time we live in where kind of everything is kind of over-emotionalized, but also how a greater understanding of our own passions, our own feelings leads to a greater self-awareness, leads to kind of this self-knowledge, sure. um, you know, which is, uh, which is important for the spiritual life. It's important for just emotional health uh, and, and understanding um, our interactions with other people. Um, so Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started with kind of uh, uh, what are our passions, maybe uh, how does St. Thomas begin this discussion about passion? It's interesting, you know, in, in Thomas's treatment of this, and I think I mentioned this before, that in the Summa Theologia, really, the the treatise on the passions is the second longest treatise. Um, mm, interesting. So Thomas, evidently, yeah, it's, it's surprising, you know, because especially surprising from someone who is so sort of kind of cool, like in his writing, right? Like he doesn't come across as like when you read Augustine, you're you like you know you're dealing with somebody who's very passionate, right? An emotionally <laughs> yeah. intense person. Um, whereas you know Thomas just comes across as very sort of like you know calm waters, right? Uh, yeah, mechanical. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, but actually, he you know he spent a lot of uh, of time thinking about the passions. They uh, I don't know if listeners are very aware of the kind of layout of the Summa, but uh, I think that that's instructive in in thinking and uh, understanding why Thomas spends so much time talking about the passions. So in the in the prima pars, which is the first part of the Summa, Thomas talks a lot of, uh, about uh, God uh, as the most extended discussion, really sort of thing about what we call sometimes philosophy of God or theology of God, doctrine of God, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, doctrine of the Trinity. Then he talks about, you know, uh, man, right? So he talks about God and man, basically, but man sort of in his metaphysical being, right? Mm-hmm. Then in the, what's called the prima secunda, which is the first part of the second part, sorry, it's a weird way that Thomas <laughs> broke it up, but it's called the first part of the second part, Um he talks. Uh, he begins to talk about man's return to God, and uh, connects this to human action. That is the actions that we take that sort of uh, develop us in the direction of God. And it's really interesting just to see the order he lays it out, right? Because he, in the very first part of that book, he ta- he makes the arguments along the lines that God is our ultimate end, and then he moves to human actions. What is a human action, right? What kinds of actions? Uh, propel us towards God. He talks about the morality of human action. So here he's really specifically focused on the will, right? Decisions that we make, intentions, choice, a really rich kind of uh, psychology of human action that he develops in that section. The very next section, though, is on the trees and the passions. And that's because what he's really interested in there is looking at the, the sources of human action. And Thomas is very alive to the idea that our passions and our emotions are very important uh, sources of our uh, choices and our actions. Ultimately, he does think it comes down to decisions of the will, like a, a, a human action, properly speaking, is a voluntary action, and that means emo- uh, and it involves an intention and choice of the will. 
but uh, he rec- he's recognizes that the um, that the emotions. I'm just going to use the word passion for the most part, but that the passions play a huge role in the choices that we make. Yeah, and the motivation of those choices, the passions play a huge role. Now, does he say where the passions lie? Mm-hmm. Do they lie? Are they in the will? Are they in the intellect? Are they this third thing? Where where exactly? Sure. <laughs> are they in my heart? You know what? <laughs> Which chamber? Um, That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, literally, uh, and this might be surprising to some to, to some listeners, um, and sometimes it's a little disturbing. But um, you know, he thinks of it being in the body. That is, uh, he has a, a fairly, I would say, physical view of the passions, uh, bodily view of the passions, um, and I, you know, I mean, I think that this is actually good uh, in a lot of ways. You know, his chemical theory, of course, was very uh, primitive. Uh, right. uh, you know, it comes down to things about the humors. But I think what you do need to recognize is that he did have a chemical theory. And he did think that the passions and our tendencies with respect to the passions are rooted in uh, the, the chemistry of the body. Now, that's not he's not a, a chemical determinist. Uh, right. He does, right. he does think that they they really involve they're really connected to the, the physical chemistry of our bodies. Um, now they they are what you could call psychosomatic. That is, they're also um, deeply connected to um, our thoughts, our psyche, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so the, it's it's an interesting overlap of physical and strongly connected to the psyche, even really connected to intellect, which is properly speaking uh, non-material. Um, so he has, I think, in that way, sort of a, a, a rich structure that's that really integrates the material, chemical, physical side of us with uh, the intellectual, um, uh, cognitive uh, side of us. Um, one thing that might help to, to sort of distinguish psychosomatic is that this might sound like an a, a unusual example, but uh, so I used to uh, uh, tease somebody I know by saying, well, you know, because um, this person was accusing me of not having feelings. And uh, I used to say, what are you talking about? I get hungry all the time. <laughs> this person said, this is what I mean. You don't have, you don't have any feelings. It's just teasing. But, but uh, <laughs> hunger is not a passion or an emotion, right? It, that, is, that is strictly physical. You might, have yeah. feel, you might have passions about hunger. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. Your, your, your desire for food is strictly physiological. Um, right there. I mean, at the at the extreme ends, you might be able to talk about some sort of um, psychosomatic connection to that. But for the most part, ordinary experience, you know, hunger is just a physiological thing. Like it, it it's just it's just something the body does because it needs more nutrients. Whereas the passions are connected to the way we think. They're connected to memory. Uh, they're connected to all those sorts of things. I think we can really understand this i think if everybody just looks looks in their in their past um they've all had that person at some point say you know what you just need to go take a nap <laughs> like you know <laughs> my wife tells me that all the time like and, and it's true because like you'll feel a certain way and then and and you you're like i don't i don't know what's wrong with me you know so but sometimes it's literally you just need to go like you need to go sleep you 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 know, and, and I think a, a big mark of maturity is when you can recognize that before people point it out to you <laughs> and you go and you go take care of it. You know, sure. and I, I mean, 
you know, even when like if anybody's been to like spiritual direction or um, you know, a, you know, sometimes a good confessor, yeah. many times yeah. they will they will bring these these are some of the first things they bring up. Are you eating right? Are you um, you know, cuz cuz again, like you said, it's not just one or the other. It's not like hunger, but at the same time it's not just an intellectual decision, sure. but it's it's really this thing that's that's wrapped up in in every part of the human person. Uh, and I think that's why they're also so confusing. Sure, you know, uh, trying to understand our our passions is a very confusing thing. How does Saint Thomas, you know, maybe maybe since this is his longest uh, <laughs> or one of his longest parts, you know, what does he have to say about uh, the interaction of like the human person with with their passions? Well, I think a good <clears throat> a good place to begin with the, uh, that sort of question is to just look at the literal meaning here. So, why the word passion? Passion is taken from the Latin term passio, which literally uh, means to be moved um, or to be maybe even pulled along. Um, and I think that's actually quite instructive. You think about the kinds of words that we use when we refer to our emotional lives. Sometimes, you know, we'll say about a movie or a book or um, maybe a sermon that it, re it really moved me. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of leftover language. You think about it. Right. Like there's a sense in which like. Oh right! Like there's a there's a there's a motion to uh, the passions. The passions, for the most part, are not something that we decide on, right? Like I don't I don't decide to feel despair. I don't decide right. to feel uh, hatred or sorrow or desire or delight. And I think that's even just that on its own is just a huge relief in some ways, right? Oh, yeah. Because sometimes people either are hard on each other or hard on themselves about their passions. Now there are, there can be habits of feeling that are not beneficial. And we'll talk about that uh, maybe as we, as we progress and maybe we can try to do some things to kind of um, redirect our passions, but just right. at a basic level, at a basic level, I don't decide to be angry, right? Like I, I now there, again, there are things I can do to kind of, modify maybe, maybe my anger or redirect it or, or, or those sorts of things. But <clears throat> delight and, and love and despair and all those sorts of things, those are really um, non-voluntary, right? They're not, right, I don't, right. I, you know, if, if, if you're feeling uh, desire for something in itself, and this actually gets into a good bit of moral analysis, um, at least for Thomas, and I would say this is true in the Catholic tradition in general, a non-voluntary, uh, non-elicited desire is not morally appraisable uh, in itself, right? Which means it's neutral. Yeah, it's neutral. that's right, yeah. Um, now, you might say a, a certain desire can be good or bad in the sense that <clears throat> it, uh, it, it's pushing us in a direction, right? Uh, but you don't, you know, uh, th th this is an important point. Even if you desire, even if you have sort of this immediate desire for something that's bad, I'm saying even a sinful, um, that itself is not a sin, right? Right, right. <clears throat> what you do with that can be, or let's say that you you try to excite the desire for something that's sinful, right? You decide to do that. Well, then right. that then that's sinful, right? Because it was a voluntary decision there. Let's say you realize that you're desiring something that's sinful, right? And that you're kind of like, mm, maybe I should go do that. 
and and you don't sort of do anything to turn away from it, right? In fact, you kind of enjoy the feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's called uh, uh, this is old fashioned language called morose delectation. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you're sort Use of like that one at Thanksgiving. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Usually, uh, this is when you're enjoying, and I mean, this is a, gets kind of pretty interior here in some ways. But <clears throat> when you're enjoying strong feelings about something sinful. Right. You know, so this is what our Lord, you know, when our Lord talks about um, committing adultery uh, in your heart. Right. When you when you sort of know, like, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about this. I'm desiring this. I'm enjoying desiring it. Right. right? right. Maybe I'm not going to go do it, but I'm but I'm voluntarily sort of uh, enjoying it. That that, you know, that's that then that's a problem. Right. But yeah. Yeah. When you when you've planned out, you know, 14 ways to kill your coworker, <laughs> you know, Maybe after the second, right. it's starting Stop. to become yeah. it's starting to become sin. So, but that, but that, I think it's really uh, helpful, both in terms of like I, I shouldn't like just because you're you have some fear, I shouldn't be sort of like uh, saying, Jason, just stop being afraid. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> like you know. And, uh, I might even myself be a little guilty of that sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> why don't you just stop being afraid? That's right. One time, just I, will it away, will it away. I think I told somebody that one time. I was, I was they were dealing with a lot of fear, and uh, and I was just like, well, just stop it. <laughs> and then I thought about it later. It's like, no, I'm wrong. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, like, you can't just probably stop. not. Probably not the best advice. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so, but uh, the other thing that that points us to, if we think about our passions as movements, mm-hmm. is what's doing the moving, right? And and I think that that just that helps us sort of like in our interior reflection. Why am I feeling hatred? Why am I feeling hope? Why am I feeling anger? Those sorts of things. Um, uh, that pushes us in that why question. Why do I? What's the cause of the feelings I'm having? Um, yeah. That's important because although feelings, again, feelings don't, they don't determine the will, right? Right, right. Um, Aristotle and Thomas both talk about this idea of whether or not desire makes an action involuntary. So you can imagine someone saying, you know, I just want, I just, you know, I just couldn't help it because I wanted it so badly, right? Uh, yeah. and, and, and both Aristotle and Thomas said, no, you did what you want, which means that you decided like that was voluntary. <laughs> so you can't say, oh, I was overwhelmed by passion. Now they will say it might mitigate culpability. Does that right. make sense? Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine, you know, we even have this in our, um, legal language, right. That you're very angry and maybe you have a, an appropriate reason for being angry. Right. Right. Um, uh, but then you do something that you shouldn't do. Right. So I'll just use the extreme example. Let's say you, you the, the example that's often ca- uh, uh, taught, used in legal settings is um, you find your spouse in the act of adultery uh, and you, you know, you, you hurt the other person. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The person who's um, um, not your spouse, but the, the person who's they're committing adultery with that act of violence, you know, we'll still say it was wrong. And it was chosen. But we also might recognize that there are uh, what we call mitigating circumstances, right? Again, we use the, the language, even in court cases, in the heat of the moment, right? Yeah. That's different than um, planning to kill this person next week. Yeah, right? yeah, it, yeah That's yeah. what we really say, in cold blood, right? It's, 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 we recognize, there, uh, even in that kind of language, 
that even though it doesn't cease to be evil, even though it doesn't cease to be voluntary, it it does sort of maybe mitigates to some degree the culpability uh, in some cases. Uh, of course, it, that doesn't mitigate all the possible consequences, right? I mean, it, right. that's 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 tr- that, that's something that has to be thought about uh, as well. So, but I bring that up to just bring up the point that our emotions, our passions, uh, really do affect our behavior in really strong ways. They really incline us um, in terms of our perceptions about what we should or should not do, what's desirable, right? If you're really desiring something, you're more likely to keep perceiving it as desirable. There's kind of right. like a kind of feedback intensifying loop uh, in the passions um, that uh, we ought to be aware of because of the way it influences behavior. So that's why the analytic process of asking yourself, why am I feeling this way uh, is so important. Wait, we're supposed to ask why we're feeling a certain way? We don't just act on our emotion? That's right. Yeah. Man, if I had if I had money, I'd, I would just put that on billboards everywhere. Because right. I mean, it is like a, you know, I don't know if it's a symptom or 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 the, the, the cause of a lot of our, our issues today. But I mean, just the, the idea that, you know, our, our emotions are uh, relatively good because they're mine you know what i mean like we, we kind of have this this weird treatment uh-huh. of our emotions you know it's and it has nothing to do with reason sure. um it's simply because i feel them you know that they're that they're automatically uh good in some way right um so right. saint thomas treats them as kind of this neutral thing you know and i and i think like you said it was it's interesting i mean we'll that even like you know in those heat of the moment things you know i mean You've heard cases where they will even say uh, uh, this person suffered from temporary insanity, you know, right, kind of right. because of their. Um, I mean, I mean that's a that a that should demonstrate how powerful our emotions are. Sure. Um, which, at least for the 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 discerning Catholic, should say okay, be, if if I if there's something within me that can cause temporary insanity right. maybe maybe one of my first steps should be to get that in check that's right that's you know cuz cuz if i don't yeah uh, it's uh, and 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 sort of having those things at least in check or at least being aware of them i guess you know uh yeah. uh i think uh and you know um cultivating them because one of the things is you know it's it's easier maybe to see the downside but there's also an upside of the passions right that is if you have well cultivated passions right this is one of the main things we're supposed to be doing with our children and with ourselves is helping to cultivate those passions in a, in a having passionate attachments in the right direction can be very useful right in terms of uh doing good things let me just give an example of this uh if you have a strong love for your your country or your family you're going to be more likely, right? And I mean an emotional love, right? Uh, to 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 exercise fortitude when it's called upon, right? That's going to be fuel, energy for the uh, exercising the virtue of fortitude. Um, uh, hope, right? Uh, uh, as a passion, not as a virtue, but hope right. as a as as an aspiration to overcome obstacles, um, uh, to exercise daring, even right. Those things uh, sort of feed into and energize uh, virtues like fortitude. So they're, they're they're very powerful sources of energy, both for good uh, and for ill. Um, so it's it is uh, very worthwhile to to um, to to know about them and to be aware of our passions and ask and asking that analytic question about them. Why? 
Why am I uh, feeling this way? Um, should I be feeling this way? Does this, does this feeling help me in my life of virtue? Does it help me to be a better friend, a better father? Um, those sorts of things, right? Uh, and along those lines, you know, I think Thomas gives us a kind of a nice list. Uh, and I don't mm -hmm. want, we just don't have time. We could probably do three episodes on this. Uh, but the, uh, and maybe we'll do a follow-up. But the, uh, I'll just kind of list off the, the, the main passions that he um, uh, identifies. And then we can uh, maybe talk through them a little bit. Um, uh, I would say, you know, this isn't the exhaustive list, probably. I mean, you could probably sure. bring in some other passions that Thomas doesn't talk about. But these, are, I think, are, are very useful. So at a basic level, uh, he uh, talks about love, right? And, and then interestingly, love fosters either desire or hate. Really interesting point there that love actually is the source of hate in Thomas's view. Uh, yeah, that's right. Now we're talking about the passions, okay? So, yeah, Thomas wants to dis would distinguish between the passionate passionate love and volitional love, right? The, that right, is the right. kind of love that's friendship, genuine friendship, and the love that is um, uh, charity. So, uh, love uh, fosters both desire and hate, and then from desire, right? When desire reaches its object, we we experience delight. Um, when hate is unable to avoid its object, it uh, terminates in sorrow, right? In grief, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then sort of at a deeper level, so those are kind of that's what you might call the basic passions, right? And then at a deeper level, the more complicated passions that arise from this when we encounter obstacles. So imagine that you you love something that you really want to, to, to you like you have uh, this kind of complacency and initial movement towards an object. Uh, but you encounter a difficulty, right, when you're desiring it, that's when these other sort of passions kick in. So you could, these are more complicated because they involve resistance, opposition, uh, and, and difficulty. Sure. And so these are the uh, passions of hope and despair. So you can just kind of see these as kind of couplets, right? Hope on one side, right, despair right. on the other. Uh, fear and daring, and then finally anger. Um, so, um, I think it would be useful to, 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 to just sort of reflect on these a little bit. These are, uh, the, as passions, right, they're movements. They're, they're internal. Um, if, I was, you know, if I was teaching class, I'd say, this is the definition. You want to write it down, right? But these are, <laughs> right, I've gotten in the habit of just telling my students, okay, write this down. All right. um, if you don't write anything else down. Write <laughs> that's right, write this down. down. So uh, these are... Um, psychosomatic uh, internal psychosomatic responses right um and so what you want to think of is their responses to what what do the passions arise from yeah. uh and again there's a lot of uh complicated things here you could say but at a basic level they arise from our perception right and there's a lot of details and I, I just we just can't go into here but basic at a very basic level before we think about something morally or prudently just at a, a sort of internal responsive level we have what are called estimations, right? That is, mm -hmm. we have immediate perception of something as desirable or not, right? Uh, and I mean that physically, uh, socially, intellectually, spiritually, et cetera. Without going into a deeper thinking process about it, we just are like, oh, that's Mozart playing. How great, right? Like, or, or whatever it is. Does that make sense, right? We might yeah, yeah, yeah. articulate it. It's just an initial kind of estimation, or it might be, you know, um, 
you know, a response to hearing something that sounds off, right, in your house, and you get a little afraid, you know, and it's yeah. like, what's what's that? Is that water? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's water leaking or something like that, right? That, that's an, that's what I mean by estimation. These estimations, mm-hmm. these are initial, non-voluntary. They don't involve a lot of cognitive inquiry. They just sort of happen. Um, they they do involve our instincts to some degree. They also involve habituation and memory. Um, and so, you know, like, uh, um, you know, when I when I smell uh, my mom's uh, chicken broccoli casserole cooking, right? <laughs> I don't have to think a lot about is that going to be good, right? I have an yeah, yeah, yeah. estimation, man, that's going to be great. You know, can't wait to eat lunch, right? Uh, because right of the memory of of having eaten this particular casserole so many times, so I have a desire that that triggers sort of the desire for it. So uh, does that help? Does that make does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think I think like you said, you know, there's the it's it's that uh, the emotions are those kind of initial reactions to sure. certain stimuli or whatever like that. Um, but I think that one thing that's one thing that's important for for the Christian is to is to analyze them. Sure. And I think one of the first things that has to be said is, does this require further analyzation? <laughs> like your mom's, your mom's uh, food, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah, this does, this does not, you know? Um, but I, I think one of the things that our culture struggles with is this analyzation of, or this analysis of our emotions in particular. I mean, you just, you read stories all the time, you know, the, 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 the students who felt, you know, unsafe about, uh, Trump 2016 being written in chalk on a sidewalk, or I was reading it. There's a, there's a really good book called, uh, iGen, um, where a speaker went to speak on a college campus and people were literally in tears. And, and, and she's like, you know, at first I thought maybe they were faking it or something like that, but they were genuine, you know? So it, 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 it brings up like, you know, how, uh, how do we begin to analyze mm. our, or, you know, and maybe that's something that we need as parents need to teach our, you know, kids, obviously sure. is that, that our, that our, our feelings need to be, our emotions need to be, be analyzed and then, you know, uh, governed by our reason. Sure. So when St. Thomas, so he, so he breaks them down to these basic mm-hmm. emotions uh, and where they lead. Um, uh, what does he say, you know, maybe about uh, reason governing mm-hmm. uh, our emotions? Yes, that's fairly complicated because of the complexity of the passions and their interactions. Mm. When you speak of uh, governing them, he talks about them actually. He says that that uh, that reason should rule over the passions, but right. uses a a a political metaphor, in which he says that reasons rule over the passions is not um, really um, it's not despotic, and that's because. Mm. The passions can rebel. Like you actually can't, you can't fully control your passions. You can think about the sources of your passions and the consequences of your passions and, and, and sort of on the front end or the, or the back end, right? Sort of uh, create situations in which maybe you, re- you remove stimulations, right? Of, right. Right. Or, or think about the consequences of them, or you could think about, okay, I'm having this feeling. I'm re like, like, so I, uh, it's easiest for me to talk about anger, but, uh, the, like, I'm feeling like if I'm feeling really angry, right. And that's an intense passion. 
on, I want to note, anger is not intrinsically evil, right? Mm-hmm. It's not bad in itself. Oddly enough, neither is hate um, as a passion. But you can ask yourself, why am I so angry? <laughs> you know? and, and that's the real anal- the analytic part of this, right? Is to ask, what's the reason that I'm feeling anger? <clears throat> you know, Thomas says that very often anger can, not very often, but sometimes anger can um, begin in a, um, a reasonable estimation of an injustice, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, one of the big problems with anger is it can also get carried away so easily, right? You know, yeah, so, absolutely. so if you're feeling angry, that doesn't mean you're bad, right? <laughs> Which is something I want to just say, like anger is not bad. Um, anger directed towards the right object in the right way, mm-hmm. to the right degree, all those sorts of things, right? Uh, that, uh, the, the, you know, uh, can, can actually, uh, be useful. Of course, often anger is based on I- ignorance or stupidity or, or, or making a judgment that doesn't make any sense or it's overreaction, all those sorts of things. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, and maybe a, a flawed perception, a flawed estimation of something. Um, so, um, when you're thinking about, you know, the passions, um, it's, it's valuable to ask yourself, what's the root estimation here, right? That is, there, there's an estimation that occurs prior to those, those movements, right? I say a lot of things go into that estimation, but then we can trace it back to, well, why, right? Should I really be afraid of, of you know, a, a political, like, sign? Probably yeah. not. Uh, I mean, maybe there might be some circumstances where you would, but in most circumstances, you know, a sign isn't going to harm you or anything, like, right? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, right. but but there might I mean I mean obviously there could be some circumstances where where you could have a, a reasonable fear uh, of that. I think Jason, this comes out most easily if we kind of maybe walk through uh, an example of of how sure. this could work. <clears throat> so you, I've already said that that um, you know hatred is generated from love, and that might sound sort of shocking, but again, I'm talking about the passion here. Okay, so. And and, and 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 when I talk about love here, I'm talking about the passion of love. So the, love, of course, is a huge topic and very complicated, even at the level mm-hmm. of passion, right? Um, but but you know, by by love, what Thomas means is that initial. Uh, he calls it. It's an interesting. Uh, initial complacency and movement towards something as desirable. So there's a kind of anticipated delight, right? You think about, you know, like uh, it, it, it might be easiest uh, to talk about this in terms of maybe uh, romance here, although that gets complicated too. But you could think about like the, you know, when you perceive, right, the when the lover perceives the beloved, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that certain estimations are formed, um, some of which are, are, are physical, some of which are, are psychological and, and so forth. Uh, about the person's character, you know, that all those sorts of things. And there's a kind of just anticipated delight in that person, an initial movement of one's feelings towards that person. And this this bears out in one's behavior, right? That is, um, you know, the, the, the lover wants to spend time with the beloved. The, the lover thinks about the beloved, all those sorts of things, right? And here, I'm just really talking about it at the emotional level, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that there is this kind of energy. I mean, if you've ever experienced it, you, there's a kind of a, a an energy, a dynamic uh, force that's internal. Um, you know, some people have this more strongly than others, but uh, um, we can all sort of identify it to some degree. So love arises from that, okay? 
Now, uh, love, love is that first thing. He actually says all the passions are based on, on that original movement of love. Right. right, right. All the rest of them, you know, come out of that. Come from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why you can say desire. So desire is this sort of like strong, um, enduring um, pursuit, right? Attraction, uh, not attraction really, but really sort of that that energy, that moving energy. Love is almost sort of like that basic attraction. Uh, so that that's the energy that pro- propels the lover towards the beloved. Hate can also come up, right? So let's say you know, like. Uh, you're pursuing uh, uh, someone uh, romantically, but then somebody else gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Competition enters into the scene, right? Okay. <laughs> the dark, the dark character enters. <laughs> That's right. So, so you're. I mean, now just want to be. I'm not talking about this as a moral act here, but it's right, natural right. for you to have the feeling of dislike for that person, <laughs> right? You're like, no, buddy, back off. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's what Thomas means by by hatred. It's just a kind of a dislike, right? Um, an aversion, right? And we have aversions to those things that are the opposite of what we love, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I mean when I say hatred in that sense of aversion, dislike, right? Um, that that is actually um, a normal passion, and uh, and in and in some cases a good one, right? Like. I, you know, I love and desire good things for my children, and I hate those things that block them, right? I dislike uh, uh, those things that would deprive uh, good things for my children. So, it, right, we should have we should have a hatred for sin. For that's example. right, absolutely, that's, yeah, yeah. So having those feelings of aversion and dislike, right, <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, makes uh, uh, good sense. Um, the uh, when love finds its object, right, then that's mm-hmm. when one experiences delight. Right, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that that kind of helps you think about it. Now, let's say that you you lose out, right, and your competitor beats you out, right? Yeah. Then then you're gonna feel sorrow, right? And 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 none of those feelings, interestingly enough, is morally bad. Uh, and all of them all of them could be, of course, sources for morally good or morally bad actions, right? <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we hear that all the time in in. Uh you know, Catholic teaching, you know, or, or at least people teaching the Catholic faith, you know, it's not necessarily your emotions that are harmful or that are sinful, but it's what you do with them. That's right. You know, like yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. they can't, they can't be that motivation. Um, now what about, there's a word thrown around that, uh, uh, that's called simply emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those words that kind of, uh, comes up in certain circles and, and, and gets thrown about a lot. Um, sometimes, Sometimes with, with more research behind it, sometimes with less, right? Sure. Um, but I think there's a couple of different things you can th- uh, say here. One, passions are not intelligent. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you can't think with your passions. Um, right. uh, feelings don't, they, they react to some degree to abstract ideas, but they aren't abstract ideas. They're not uh, first principles of reason, first principles of right conduct. Uh, none of those sorts of things, right? They're not first principles of practical reason or theoretical reason. Um, uh, so they're not concepts. They're not judgments. They're not arguments. They're not explanations. They're not definitions, et cetera, right? They are not thoughts, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, just in, in one side of it, I would say, look, passion, if by emotional intelligence you mean that passions give you knowledge, that's false, okay? Passions right. are not a form of knowledge. Now, some people will be like, wait a second, I don't agree with that. 
Now, what I will say is you can be intelligent about your passions. And that's kind of what we've been talking about, right? And I think your passions can actually give you some data, some information, so to speak, um, if you think about them as uh, moments of experience, right? Mm -hmm. So in a good Aristotelian Thomist view of knowledge, right? Knowledge grows out of experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so taking your, 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 your passions as a, um, as data points, right. As, uh, you know, as, as parts of experience in, uh, to form, right. A mature judgment, right. A, a full judgment. That's, that's all very sound, right. So having self-knowledge, thinking carefully about your passions, uh, that sort of thing, uh, is, um, is, is, is useful and good. So I think it just really, you know, as with so many different terms that get thrown out, thrown around, it's kind of like, well, can you define that for me? If you yeah. mean, if you mean that you can think with your passions, the answer is no. Okay. If you mean that passion is a not is, is knowledge, I would say no. If you mean that you're intelligent about your passions and mm-hmm. that you uh, use your passions in a proportionate way, right, to form judgments, mature judgments, then um, that makes good sense. And we hear this in, in you know, a lot of uh, Catholic prayers. I've seen it so often, you know, talking about God changing your desire. If you're not yet faithful, you ask God to give you the desire for faith, you know. And, and so I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, the spiritual life, this, uh, uh, I don't know whether you call it emotional intelligence or just, you know, being intelligent about our emotions plays such a huge role in uh, developing uh, spiritually. But, but I like the point you made there talking about, you know, kind of at the natural level that love uh, is that which we desire, because many times this is also how we can examine ourselves. OK, well, what are the things that I that I take delight in? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, you know, sure. buying some, you know, do I take more right. delight in buying something new than I do in my own children? Right. You know, or, you know, so, I mean, it, the, this this kind of um, uh, baseline um uh, understanding of the passions that you bring up, I think it gives us a, a good tool to to examine to examine our own life, sure, and to and to try to really try to navigate our, our passions because you know, like we said before, I mean, they can in some instances lead to temporary sure. insanity, <laughs> and so we should yeah. we should work we should work to to change our desires so that we desire what is what is genuinely good, and I think that's another point that's important through persistence, fortitude. Uh, we can actually, you know, change our desires to where, you know, if we do not always desire to do what is good mm-hmm. through the practice of, you know, uh, at least through the practice of the the, the natural virtues, mm-hmm. um, they can be str- stronger. On the other hand, you know, it is it is a moment of grace, you know, especially sure. when it comes to, you know, uh, um, working towards mm-hmm. desiring the supernatural sure. virtue, right. virtuous life, yeah. to have that at least have that desire. This is a deep topic, and as I say, we probably need to do a follow-up episode on this at some point. But in terms of forming your passions, right? Yeah, it, because it really is a, a work of cultivation, right? I mean, it, it it can take time, and once you have, ha- you know, habits sort of are kind of like, uh, sorry, uh, the passions are kind of like water, metaphorically, right? In the sense that they can they wear a path, right? And mm. you can redirect this that stream, but it takes a lot of work. Uh, yeah. And this is, I mean, if anybody has ever struggled with a desire, uh, a pattern of feeling that leads to to vice or to sin, it's it can be tough. You know, like once you, you know, like once you get into your late 20s, your 30s, your 40s, I mean, that stuff can be really 
difficult to change, right? And, then, and on that right. point, you know, I think we need to have, exercise a great deal of sympathy for people who struggle with maybe uh, habitual sin and vice, because oftentimes there's deep emotional difficulties there, right? That they're trying to overcome. That doesn't mean uh, sort of becoming antinomian or, or sort of rejecting the fact that there are standards, but it does, it does mean like, you know, there might be some pretty significantly mitigated culpability and, you know, recognizing that, that sometimes it just really is tough. You know, if you, if you, you know, are, you know, had a, a, a deep, good formation and, and grew up as a, you know, fruit brain Christian from your youth and didn't wander down any bad pathways. That's great. Good for you, you know? Uh, but lots of people, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a, you know, of a wandering situation and uh, that creates in them these kinds of habits. Uh, one thing that one you can think about here is again, that passions are rooted in estimations. So come back to that is yeah. the way you estimate things ties in to really that way you feel and those estimations then we can start thinking about well what are their sources right um and that has a lot to do with your temperament right and mm -hmm. temperament is basically chemical right i mean it's a kind of a genetic chemical kind of situation i've heard people say that i don't know if this is the case or not but i've heard people say you can change your habits but you really can't change your temperament very much right you right, know right. um and so, you know, um, if you're melancholic or phlegmatic, it's probably good to know that, right? Because that that predisposes you towards certain, that's a predisposition, I would say, to feeling and perceiving and estimating in certain ways. I'll give an example of this. I dislike intensely loud noise. Um, and it it just, it aggravates, like if I start to, like I, don't, I might not even think about it, but I can notice after, like if I'm in a crowded area where there's a lot of noise, that my displeasure, right, and sense of kind of hate or antipathy gets this is rising and rising, and rising, and, and all of a sudden I'm sort of like, man, I'm really <laughs> angry right now. Right? Yeah, Hulk smash, Hulk <laughs> smash. Yeah, sure. and, and, and and I have to realize, oh, actually, it's just that I don't like loud noise, right? Yeah. So <laughs> one thing you know, like with my kids, is I will just tell them sometimes, uh, like, you know, guys, you're not doing anything wrong. Right. It, it's great for you to, to be having a big time playing around and yelling in the house. Uh, <laughs> you're not doing anything wrong, but it's but it is driving me crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> like, so one, I bring that example up because it could be the case that I was like, hey, kids, knock it off. You're acting badly. They're not acting badly. There's yeah. kids. Right. Um, yeah. Now, if I've told them over, you know, like, you know, if it moves into disobedience, that's another matter. But right. you know, it, it's just they're just being kids. And I'm just being me. That is, I'm just responding to loud noise the way I am, right? I don't like it, right? Um, and so having that bit of self-knowledge helps. I think one of the one of the things that we really struggle with is we jump too easily to, I desire this, I want this, therefore it is good. Uh, yeah. That's where the real governance of, the, of reason comes in. I want this, or I'm afraid of this, therefore it's bad, right? Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. You know, I would say maybe. But maybe not, right? And so you can't just move the inference. And I bring this up when I teach my students, but it's you know it's it's hard to get in. I really want this. Doesn't mean it's good, right? Um, uh, it doesn't mean it's bad either, right? You know, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. And that's where where our reason comes in. Similarly, I'm really afraid of doing X or or, or Y. Um, okay, you know, 
fear something you some things should you should be afraid of right you know i see all these books all the time advertised you know for like you know getting overcoming fear but i'm like well maybe sh- there's some things that are, are fearful and it's fine to be afraid about them uh but just because you but simply because you're afraid of something it doesn't necessarily follow that it's wrong it might be that you have a flawed estimation yeah that's that's quite a humbling remark right there so i don't know how well that'll fit into our culture right now of <laughs> just complete self-centeredness you know of you know i feel this way therefore you need to respect my feelings there was a uh, uh i just came across this um barna poll that just came out right and they asked the question if someone disagrees with you, it means they are judging you, uh, which means that which means that if I encounter somebody that's disagreeing with me, I feel judged. And forty percent of millennials said yes. That's tr- that is a true statement that they feel judged if somebody disagrees with them. And I think this goes back to the point that you made. We need to understand our emotions to the point where we should stop and say you know, is what the person is saying, mm-hmm. is it a judgment about me right. or is it, a, or, you know, are they making an estimation about me? Or are they making an estimation about some issue or whatever uh, uh, that I happen to disagree with? But I think, you know, when we have a, a culture that um, is this, uh, um, that has this very much radical individualism, mm-hmm. um, this, this complete self-centeredness that th- that becomes uh, that that idea of you know um, maybe my estimation is wrong right maybe maybe you know it's not necessarily the loud noises that are that are sure. wrong or right. harmful but it's it's my reaction to them sure. and i need to keep that in check like that's not even on the radar for right. for for many in our culture yeah you're right um as catholics and evangelists sometimes when we go out we have to be aware of that sure. you know uh, when we bring up these 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 difficult topics even if we have our emotions and checked and we've gone through, you know, logical arguments for all of these things, you know, remember that, you know, the person on the other side, they may not, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, you know, when you were, you know, when you use theological words like intrinsically evil, while, <laughs> you know, those are theologically <laughs> true, as soon as you use that word, you just called their aunt Betty or uncle, you know, uncle Dan, you just mm-hmm. called them Hitler. Right, right. You know I mean? That's, <laughs> That's like the uh, the the emotional response to to talking with somebody, and I think that's a, a real kind of uh, 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 difficult waters to navigate these sure. days about having having an a, an I don't want to say unemotional discussion about two conflicting ideas, mm-hmm. but just you know having um, having one having a discussion where we can simply uh, look at look at something. Um, Look at an issue without bringing our emotions into it. There's there are deep roots here though, uh, uh, philosophically that come into why I think we're this way in part, and a lot of that has to do with what um, Alistair McIntyre and, and others identify as emotivism, and that yeah. view right that that morality just is your feelings, and I run into this all the time. Uh, I run, uh, or even that religion is a feeling. Um, and you know, it's, oh, there's just so much more to say than that, right? That, but, that, yeah. but basically that's a, uh, again, morality and emotion are connected for sure. Yeah. Right? There is a, there is a connection there, but not an identity. Uh, and right, I think that right. that, that's where, where, where people, um, 
uh, fall down on this. I want to end on a, a on a positive note here, uh, though, and and say that to make me feel good, <laughs> to make all of our listeners feel good, uh, <laughs> that actually, you know, in a in a well ordered person, right, mm-hmm. the passions really are a um, uh, a a force for virtue uh, and a force uh, for good. They need to be directed. They're not sufficient on their own. We need to be develop the virtues like prudence and justice and those sorts of things. Um, but um, uh, cultivating good passions, right, uh, is in fact uh, part of and an important part of the development of temperance and the development of fortitude, which are really key in uh, our um, spiritual lives and and in following the Lord. When you're thinking about that. I think the area to address is to is the area of estimation, because it, mm-hmm. because our passions grow out of our estimations. You shouldn't try to change your temperament. You have you have the temperament you know that you have. You should be aware of it, right? But and and, right. and think that your temperament is part of your estimation. Another part of your estimation is your environment. Um, what are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who are your friends? Uh, what kind of thoughts do you allow into your mind? I wouldn't want to isolate myself, but I also want to um, be thoughtful, a thoughtful guardian of my mind and my heart. Sure, sure. Uh, um, so I want to think about the environment, the things that I'm, um, I'm bringing into my mind. Uh, I want to be aware of my temperament, and I also want to be aware of my past. I want to be aware of my habits. So when I teach yeah. this to, to students, I say there's three sources of estimation. Uh, your temperament, your, um, your environment, uh, and uh, your habits. Right, uh, which are tied into to your memory. Um, you know, if you if you've developed the the habit of losing your temper, right? If you've developed the 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 habit of desiring sinful things, then that's gonna you you need to be aware of that. You say, you know, I've got this habit of desiring sinful things, and and I and I need to bend it in the other direction. And what I need to do is is change my environment, right? Or right, I need right. to change. I need to be aware of that that habit. I need to. It's not about. I I like to say. Sometimes it is about suppression, right? Like you just got to say, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling this and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to grit my teeth and go for a walk. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. But, but, but it's more about redirection, right? Yeah. So sometimes it is just about no, right? But at a yeah. deeper and higher level, you want to sublimate those passions and redirect them uh, in a good way. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful depiction of this in The Great Divorce where there's a, um, a young man who has uh, dealt with lust uh, his whole life. And he's uh, in heaven. Dragon, right? Right? Yeah, and it's wrapped around him and it's whispering to him. It's like, you can't yeah. live without it or whatever. But he, uh, but, you know, he decides to kill it, right? But it's reborn, right? If I remember correctly, is this wonderful stallion, right? Uh, that, mm. that he rides upon and it, it takes him deep into, uh, you know, uh, into the homeland of heaven. It's a powerful image, I think, of uh, transformation of the passions, uh, of redirecting the passions um, into something that's good and and worthy uh, and can be of service to ourselves and others. And I think this is what also St. Paul talks about, you know, when he talks about, I, I boast in my weaknesses, mm-hmm. saying, you know, like I have like all of these, I have all of these passions that are so strong. <laughs> But the fact that I can overcome them sure. is because of God's grace. That's why I boast in my weaknesses because it is only God's grace that I can get uh, that I can get through these uh, in that way. 
Um, so a lot to think about here. I hope our listeners have found this uh, helpful and useful. Please, uh, in the meantime, check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. You can find many of our other material there. You can find our courses there for subscription. Please subscribe to our uh, our podcast here. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we're constantly trying to put out as much material as possible to guide people through uh, the Catholic faith and through philosophy. Uh, so until next time, God bless.